this session with Dr. Papernow, we discuss the gap of knowledge in working with step families and the limitations of using approaches and maps based off of working with first-time families. Welcome to the AFTA podcast. I am Naveed Zamani and I am your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Patricia Papernow. Dr. Papernow has taught about blended families all over the United States and the world, sharing what five decades of research and clinical work tells us about best practices for meeting the often intense challenges that step families face. She's the author of dozens of articles and book chapters about step families, as well as some of the leading books in the field including Surviving and Thriving in Step-Family Relationships, What Works and What Doesn't, and with Karen Bunnell, The Step-Family Handbook, From Dating to Getting Serious to Forming a Blended Family. She is a recipient of the Award for Distinguished Contribution to Family Psychology from the American Psychological Association. She's also a member of AFTA. Thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Papernow. I was curious if you could share with us what's been capturing your attention these days in your work. Well, that's an interesting question because as I think about it, in a way, it is what has captured my attention from the beginning. And that is, this is a fundamentally different family form. And what works is often quite different from what works in a first-time family. And despite the fact that 42% of Americans have a close step-family relationship, I stand in front of 300 therapists and ask how many have had any training in step families Mm. and two of them raised their hands and both of them went to Westchester where Scott Browning is. He's the other person Mm. who does this work. So, um, I'm 76. My husband wants me to retire and I keep saying I can't because this is such important information. It's got to get out. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad to get this information out. Yeah, thanks for the work you're doing. And it's honestly kind of surprising to hear. And as I reflect on my own training, I don't know how much I spoke about step families, for sure. Same, I would be part of the other, however many people that didn't raise their hands. And it's kind of fascinating to think that in a kind of a family therapy world and context and profession that step families are not considered more. Or is there a different way that you describe that kind of marginalization or the ways that step families don't get attention? You know, some of the senior members of AFTA have sat in on one of my workshops and say they're just families. You just treat them like families. And I think there's, a, what can I say, a, a kind of a lack of knowledge about how different they are. Mm-hmm. So when I ask, have you had any training in step families? Um, uh, sure, I know about families. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could ask, like, what makes them, let me, let me be careful about my phrasing here. What is it about step families that require some more or different attention or knowledge or forgive me if the phrasing there maybe isn't respectful in some particular ways. Um, but yeah, like what is it about step families that we should be attending to as family therapists that maybe the primary epistemology doesn't offer? It's a great question. Well, the first thing to understand is that step families start from a really different point. You know, first time families start with a couple having some time together, usually. Um, that's less true than it used to be, but usually the couple has some time together. They have time to ride that yummy river of being completely in love with each other. And they have time to get to know each other. They have time to be familiar. They have time even to get to know that you and I do not load the dishwasher similarly. And I can't stand the way you load it. You can't stand the way I load it. But, you know, by the second year, yeah, okay, he loaded the dishwasher. That's one thing. And the other thing is that in a first-time family, kids join the already established adult relationship, couple relationship. And usually both parents are gaga over the kid. And the kid is gaga over their parents. Attachment Mm -hmm. goes both ways. In a step family, when there's a divorce or a break, 
Um, first of all, there's a huge loss for kids. It's a huge change. Mm. And uh, the when a, a step a parent meets a new partner, the attachment, the primary attachment is parent-child. And the step here is an outsider. So every time a child walks into the room, children need their parents. They, they don't need their step-parents usually. They need their parents. So you and I are talking. I'm the parent. You're the step-parent. You've just gotten a moment with me and we're talking and my kid gets off the, the bus and she's won the soccer game or she's lost the soccer game. She runs in and who does she want to talk to? Mommy, mommy, mommy. She wants to talk to me mm. and I am a good mom. And what do I do? I turn away from you towards my child. Now, in a first time family, we would both turn towards this child. And if I turned away, you'd still feel connected. You would have in your body the memory of holding that kid in your arms and being gaga about her. Mm -hmm. And she would have it with you. In a step family, I, the parent, have it. You, the step parent, don't. And that th those are fundamentally different experiences. And step parents often, I call it, uh, the, I talk about five major challenges. And the first is step parents are stuck outsiders and parents are stuck insiders. So stuck outsider means I'm if I'm the mom, I'm going to be turning my back on you. And there's a guy named Stephen Porges who says we are wired neuroceptively, just below awareness, to expect that people close to us will turn towards us. And when they turn away, it's very dysregulating. So in a step couple, when I take care of my kid, I must turn away from my partner. And uh, even if you get it, I mean, I certainly got it as a step parent. It's really hard to be turned away from. So people who, you know, out stuck outsiders often feel rejected. They feel lonely. They feel invisible. Um, and the minute they start saying, uh, how come you paid attention to your daughter when you and I were talking? This parent feels is a stuck up insider, feels torn, anxious. And if it doesn't go well, I'm going to get defensive, but she's my daughter. Now you're not going to feel heard. Um, and off we go. S understanding that that is normal in a step family is one of the most important psychoed things that we can do for couples. You know, you're stuck in this. You know, the step parent will say, you leave me out every time your kids come, I'm invisible. And the parent says, what's your problem? They're my kids. Mm. And off they go. Oh. And if I can stop them and say, I'm betting you've had this conversation so many times before. Can I help you? First, let me help you understand it's the structure that makes this. This structure makes you a stuck outsider over and over. And here are the things stuck outsiders feel. And the structure makes you a stuck insider over and over and over again. And here are the things stuck insiders feel feel. Am I getting it? Yes. Okay. I and mean, what's that like? Oh, it's such a relief. Okay. To turn to each other and talk about that. I have step couples come back sometimes 15 years later because they had a little glitch. And they wanted a little help. And the step parent usually will say, oh, it was life-saving. It was so helpful. And of course, I always want to know what was helpful. So what, what was it that was so helpful? And I can't tell you how often the step parent will say, insiders and outsiders. Mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't nuts. I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew there wasn't something wrong with me. I'm just a step parent. <clears throat> there are some things to do that make a difference. Like one of them is um, to, uh, to, to in, you know, it's really important for step families to spend some time together doing fun things because it's a new family. Mm -hmm. Also important to spend one-to-one -one time. You mean with like the step parent and child or the uh, step, Yes, but the couple needs time alone together. Ah, yes. And the and the parent and child need time alone together. And that is one of the big, I call them easy wrong turns that yeah. uh, clinicians make using a first time family map. What they say is the couple's most important, really spend time in a couple. Well, step couples do need to really work on their relationships. They're being pulled apart all the time. Every time a kid walks in the room. Um, and um, that's the next challenge, which is that kids in step families 
um, have a hard time. We have study after study after study that kids experience that when their parents recouple, that they lose attention and time. So the second challenge is that kids in step families, the adults are thrilled, the kids are usually not. Kids in step families often experience losses, loyalty binds, and change. Those are the three things I usually talk about. But let me stop and let you get a word in edgewise here. No, no, I'm so drawn into what you're saying. For I'll just say on just immediately listening to you exposes my own sense of naivete to the idea that like these are just families. God, when you're describing it, like the the politics and the structure is just it's right there in front of me to look at. You just had to like point it out. Um, right. So easily missed. Right. It really helps to have a map. It really um, helps to have a map. And that kind of leads to my question in some ways, because as you're kind of discussing step families and some of the complexities and the family structure and the relationships and the politics, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you like kind of approach or conceptualize some of the practices with the families, because threaded in there, there was like some conceptualizations like around like sounds like attachment theory. You mentioned some like neurological stuff, possibly some behavioral practices. I wonder about like language, even the language of like the step parents or the insider outsider. You mentioned psychoeducation, naming the family structure. Like, yeah, could you share a little bit about your entry point and or just how you even start to like envision your work, conceptualize your work with these families? Well, as you can, as you've already picked up, I'm an integrator. So my work, you you can sort of see a little path of all the things I've ever learned in my life. Um, So what I I talk about with each of the five challenges is how can we help on a psychoeducational level? How can we help on an interpersonal level? And how can we help on an intrapsychic family of origin level? And uh, oftentimes things are so intense that individually trained therapists go right to the individual level. You know, why do you step parent feel so bad when you're left out? Uh, the dilemma is that's kind of, that's shaming and it doesn't appreciate the structure. Mm. So really important, I think, with these families to start with psychoed. This is the structure. This is what works and what doesn't. This is what's normal. And we know that uh, successful, thriving step families and struggling step families actually have the same challenges, sometimes just as intense or more, successful step families have better interpersonal skills. They can manage that conversation that I was laying out a little earlier when the step uh, dad says, you know, you turned away from me again. How could you? Mm. That's probably going to start a fight. Somebody's going to withdraw. Somebody's going to be defensive. Really different if the step parent can say, shoot, honey, it happened again. Can I have a hug? Mm. I'd really love a hug. Now, I may be surprised as the parent because I was just taking care of my kid. Um, but I'm going to be a lot more defensive if you say, what, you know, how did you do that? Why did you do that again? Than if you're able to reach for me. Um, so um, I don't know if that's answering your question. Is that starting to answer it? It does. I mean, you know, I, I position in some narrative therapy context, like that's kind of like the orienting world I'm in. And in some ways, like you were mentioning the entry point into intrapsychic, maybe I'm misrepresenting some theoretical stuff, but I would I would be inclined to go into language and meaning making. And as I'm hearing you, I'm like, oh, perhaps I'd be inadvertently moving away from family structure in that question and individualizing a problem. Right. Something that is actually systemic. Yeah. Yeah. Same with stuff with kids. The second challenge is about uh, kids. And um, it, depending on the work you do, if you're a couple and family therapist, you're going to be working with a couple. But if you're a kid therapist, you're going to be working with a kid. And even if you're a couple and family therapist, the kids are, if the couple is struggling, it's likely that the kids are struggling and they're often struggling over the kids. So really important to understand that kids have a hard time in step families. And they often feel rushed. And why wouldn't you want to rush? You know, I've met the love of my life. Mm. You know, uh, my husband and I only took our time because I needed um, 
I needed uh, financial aid to send my kid to college. And my ex-husband had no money. And that was going to really get us some financial aid. So we didn't get married for six years. We would have rushed in. Mm. <laughs> we were as dumb as any other couple in love. <laughs> By six years, the kids were all ready. All, all his three and mine, my one, were all ready. Have we done it even a year or two earlier, somebody would have been having a meltdown, I'm sure. Mm. So really important to know that the adults are often thrilled and the kids are often having a hard time. But the, what you often hear from the adults is a kid is depressed or they're acting out. What I hear from colleagues is she's manipulating. That child is, uh, what's the word? Triangulating, mm. um, mm-hmm. which usually means that kid needs their parent. So the the story that I often tell that is one I get told a lot is uh, it's the the dad's girlfriend has come over. He's been dating her three or four months. She's come over on Friday night. It's actually the transition night. The kids are used to having Friday night alone with dad. Um, They all watch a movie. Now, where does girlfriend expect to sit? Next to dad. Who's used to sitting next to dad? Mm. His daughter is used to sitting next to dad. So what does she do? Her brother just withdraws. He goes and plays video games. Uh, But the daughter gets up and sits right between dad and his girlfriend. The dad is happy about that. Now he's got all his people. Mm. Step on, that's what happy about that. Um, And that's called splitting or triangulating. That's not splitting. That's a kid needing their parent. And so uh, oftentimes the the, uh, grownups need, when the kid is referred, uh, it's really important to meet with the grownups and help them understand what's what's going on. Are you doing that separately on some of your meetings? I I, I hesitate to ask questions like that because it's such a general question. I know it's context dependent, but are you normally starting with the whole family together? Uh, No, that is actually a very good question. And the answer is with step families. Putting everybody in the room is almost always a recipe for disaster. So, you know, quoting, um, uh, uh, what is her name? Uh, her name is escaping me. Um, f- family therapy uh, from a Walsh. Family therapy doesn't mean you got everybody in the room. It means you have everybody in your mind and your heart. You put a whole step family in the room. And let's say daughter uh, who's 12 is acting out. Um, and... Uh, daughter needs, wants to say to dad, I hate her. Now, what does daughter need? She needs her dad to say, boy, sounds like you're having a really hard time. Well, what is his sweetie needs? Mm. She needs him to protect her. She wants him to step in and say, don't, you know, don't be rude. And then what's the therapist do? Uh, I just uh, taught in Belgium with a whole bunch of family therapists who really, we did a lot of role-playing, and they really wanted to do, put the whole family in the room. That's the way they worked. They knew they could pull it off. I tell you, it was so tense. And when we debriefed the person who was playing, either the kid or the step-parent, one of them was miserable mm-hmm. and uh, either acting out or going silent. So generally, in step-families, really helps to work in subsystems. See the couple together see the parent-child together. If it's a child referral, you're going to want to meet with the child and help them tell a coherent story about what's happened to them because often they don't have a coherent story. They just feel horrible and they know they're making everybody unhappy about what was the divorce like and what was it like when you were alone with your parent and what things have changed and what have the changes been like for you? What's the biggest change? What are some of the little changes? Um, kids need help telling a coherent story often. And then if the referral is a kid, the work is parent-child work hmm. without the step-parent. Interesting. Kid needs to howl to the step-parent, to the parent about how unhappy they are and get hurt and held. Only the most saint-like step-parents can sit still for that. Um, there are step-parents who can. Who, you know, who can stay present as a kid is saying, I hate her. I, you know, I can't believe you chose her. She's a bitch. I mean, you know, there are a few people who can stay for that. Mostly, though, kids need their parents and they need, uh, it's attachment repair, really. Kids need to say, to howl to their parents, 
and parents need help really hearing, really hearing kids. Um, oftentimes we have to help step parents understand that this is not about, we're not asking them to go away and bash you. That's not what this is about. What this is about is the best medicine for a disruptive, disrupting kid is a parent who really gets it. And most kids are in such a different place from parents. Um, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, in some ways you're, as you're meeting with the various members, you're doing some assessments on how they made sense of the history to how they've arrived at this step family position. There was yeah. like a lot of tenderness. I mean, the whole thing feels like filled with tenderness, like as people yes. are making sense of each other's relationships. And I almost felt like there was a tenderness in your voice as you were like asking some of the questions about like, or as you were asking some of the questions to the imagined child. It's, it almost feels like there's some grief work in there. I think you're exactly right, Navita. And oftentimes, you know, when I, when I, when I, one of the things that I teach about is that psychoeducation is a skill. And there really are some people who are just thrilled to get new information. And there are other people who are really upset. So when I say, what's it like to hear that for kids, I think I can help you understand what's helping with this kid. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to like it. Um, but one of the things we know is that kids and adults and step families feel really, really differently. And here are some of the things that kids feel. And then I'm going to say, what was that like to hear? And sometimes I'm going to hear, oh, God, it's such a relief to get what's going on here. I thought I was doing something wrong. But just as often I might get, but this kid is behaving terribly, especially from the step parent or from the parent. Um, what have I done? What have I done? Or but, 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 but. And oftentimes there really is grief under that. You know, why can't this kid just adjust? And I have, I have something I call a language of wishing. You so wish, you so wish this was easier for these kids. That would be, this was not what you imagined. You didn't do this to have unhappy kids. You know, you were going for this new family. And here you've got a miserable kid, you know, bummer. <laughs> And you so wish it was easier for them. The good news is um, I can tell you what might help. There mm. are things that can help. Yeah, it's, and the, I'll forgive you, please continue. And that's often very comforting. And what can help is, first of all, do spend some time together doing fun things, but make some one-to-one -one time. Dad, when was the last time you spent one-to-one -one time with your daughter? Oh, gee, wow. <laughs> um, and make some one-to-one -one couple time. And step parent, what I'm going to advise you to do is pick these kids off one-to-one -one without the parent present. Go do something fun. Don't do anything serious or hard where, you know, the kid is going to be acting out. You're going to be stuck. Um, do something fun. You know, kid likes to bake, bake the dad's birthday cake together. Mm. Kid likes to pay, play basketball. Go play basketball. Kid plays video games. You hate video games. You know, get your, you know, hook up your pants. <laughs> so, I'm trying to say how I can say this nicely. Uh, go, see if you can go learn how what they love about this video game. Yeah. Get them to teach you how to do it. There's a real selflessness required. Yes. Because you were mentioning like a saint-like presence necessary for some of this. Yes. So... I start on the first two levels. Let me help you understand what's going on here. Let me give you some concrete ideas. Um, how can I help you really hear each other and hold each other instead of kill each other? And then if that doesn't work, then I'm going to be saying, you know, nobody likes being left out. It's horrible. It, it's one of the experiences we humans are not built for. And something's frying your wires. Mm. Something is taking your wise mind right offline, right when you need it. Can we just take a minute to, you know, how is this, what, what's familiar about this experience? I call mm. it Papernau's bruise theory of feelings. If you hit my arm where it's healthy, it hurts. And there's a lot of bumps in step families. But if there's already a bruise there, it hurts a whole different way. Mm. And if there's a deep bruise, even touching it is going to get a trauma response. You're going to get a fight flight. So if you have a step parent who was left out in her family of origin, 
who was raped and nobody knew it. Um, and there was nobody to tell. I had a bullying older brother and nobody protected her. That's, it's going to be much tougher. Mm. You know, I was great as a step parent. I got into this because I had two stepdaughters and I had to write a dissertation and I was allowed to write a qualitative dissertation. I didn't have to do numbers, which I'm terrible at. Um, so I was allowed to write a qualitative dissertation. <clears throat> uh, and uh, I just forgot where I'm going with that. You were talking about uh, the work, what got you in the work was the opportunity to have two stepdaughters as you were writing your dissertation and the ways that the, oh. dis yes, please. Now I remember, thank you. I was you. very excited, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was the step parent in my first marriage and I would ride with my husband to go pick up his kids. They were from, uh, I lived in New York and we were in Massachusetts. Um, and it pretty got pretty, and I was glad to sit in the back seat, have them sit in the front seat. I was the insider in my family of origin. I was the only girl, the oldest girl. I was my mother's caretaker and my father's favorite. So, um, I could be an outsider. I knew I'd get in. I finally said to my husband, you, my first husband, you go get the kids. You take them to McDonald's. You spend time with them and then come home. They need you first and no problem. Well, I, that marriage ended in divorce. I had a three-year-old. Um, 10 years later, I met my second husband. And now I'm the stuck insider. At plus, I have some ADD, so I, I lose focus sometimes, as I just did. So uh, my, uh, I have a date with my husband, and I forgot. And my kid, who uh, was 12 at the time, and by the way, 12-year-old girls are the hardest in a step family. I did not know this at the time, but I certainly lived it. Um, kids eight and under find it easier. Boys tend to find it easier than girls. Interesting. And 12 and 13-year-old girls often have the hardest time. So I always ask, girl or boy, how old? If it's a 12-year-old girl, I'm almost always going to hear trouble. So my 12-year-old daughter, who was not thrilling to be with at the time, um, and I, I, we were going to go to the lake and swim and we're driving. And all of a sudden I remember, Oh, I, I'm supposed to have dinner with my husband. I forgot. I got so anxious because I got torn and I got completely disoriented. So being a stuck insider was much more anxiety provoking for me because of my own particular history. I was a fine outsider. <clears throat> to use your metaphor, that was a bruise I had. Was being that's right that was a bruise i got myself back into therapy at that point because mm. i was way too anxious trying to please them both which was in completely impossible yeah i mean the work you're describing requires such a high level of attunement and like kind of tracking of multiple things going on to say the least if i could ask and i don't know if it's a fair question but like given kind of the the saint-like selflessness required, and then also the attunement of the therapist and hopefully some reflexivity from the family members in kind of tracking what's going on for them. Have you found some approaches or some considerations when working with like multi-stress families who have like, maybe don't have the emotional or spiritual or whatever presence to be in that reflexive state and are being confronted with some of the troubles you're describing, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. It's already a hard system. You know, I'm in my uh, fifth decade doing this work, and these are still my hardest families. Oh. A fa families that are not stressed, you know, by other things outside. These right. are hard families. So you have a step family where there are other stresses. Um, uh, uh, it gets much more difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 so, all. I think I tend to get a little bit, I go slower and I tend to get be more concrete. Yes. You know, one-to-one -one time makes a big difference. When you say concrete, could you say more about that? Yeah. One-to-one -one time. Let's make sure you each have something here that works, that where you feel successful, that you couple spend some time alone together, you mom or dad spend some time alone with your kid where you are tuned in. And I'm going to, let's think about this. What are some of those times? Ron Taffel calls them sac sacred times. Mm. Times when you can really pay attention. 
and there may not be very many if you're in a stressed family. Can we think of one or two times? Regularly every day is best, but two or three times a week. When you could spend time with your kid and just pay full attention with your kid. And then if you have a difficult step kid, pick the easiest one off and do something fun. Those kinds of concrete things are very helpful. There's also something, it's very kind of concrete, but I, it's called joining. Um, it's uh, couples and parents and children in these families are in, are so divided. And so it's so co- constant that, you know, it's much easier to feel connected when you and I feel the same way. We're holding a baby and we're both in love. Mm. You know, there's nothing like it. Um, and, but if I'm holding that baby and I'm in love and I'm turned away from you, that's a totally different experience. And so how do we talk about that? So I have something that looks kind of simple but I find very helpful. I call it joining. So when the couple is, you know, head to head, I would say, okay, time out. Uh, I know you've had this conversation before. I want to help you have it. So it's a little more satisfying. It's going to sound easy, but it might be hard. One of you can start just the nub a sentence or two. Um, and so stepmom, of what you most want the other guy to get. Stepmom, what do you most want your partner to get? And she says, every time your kids are here, I'm left out. It's like I'm invisible. And she starts to <laughs> wind up. And I say, okay, time out. Mm-hmm. That was a sentence or two. Great. When you say wind up, you're referring to like her physiology? Yeah, her physiology is starting to, um, and I just want a sentence or two, just the nub. And I'm very bossy, uh, but I try to stay way calm and compassionate when I do this. So partner, um, this happens to be a lesbian couple, partner. Um, she starts, the partner starts to say, but, 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 they're my kids. And I say to partner, time out. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Could you take a look at this woman? I know you love her. Could you find the place in your heart? Can you take a few deep breaths and find the place in your heart where you do understand what she just said? Not that you agree, not that you think it's right, but where you do understand. Well, she said, da 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 da, great. Could you say it to her? Well, you said, And she says it to her knee. Fabulous. You just said it to her knee. Could you say it again, Jane? Could you say it again to Lori and land it on her heart? Could you land it right on her heart? You feel really left out when my kids are here. And you can watch this like a quarter of an inch. Her shoulders go down. And I go back and forth. Now, uh, Janie, add, add a sentence or two what you most want Lori to get. Just a sentence or two. And now, Lori, I'm going to ask you to do the same. It's very structured. It's very basic. It actually takes all the skill I have sometimes with really um, aroused or uh, with somebody withdrawn. Um, But it starts to make a connection. And that is regulating. And when that gets going, if I can get it going, um, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I can say, Can you both take a breath and notice you're both a lot more relaxed? Or I may say to dad, uh, or in this case, mom, uh, did you notice you just again got where she was coming from? Did you notice, or I might say to Lori, what's that like when Janie gets where you're coming from? It's such a relief. It's such a relief. Can you tell her? Are you surprised, Janie, that what really helps Lori the most, what calms her down, is getting where she's coming from, stopping and taking a breath and getting where she's coming from? Now, zero to ten, ten really hard, zero really easy. I'm going to guess doing this at home might be an eight or a nine. Right? Right, right. And you just did it here. So for now, we'll do it here. But what I want you to notice is 
when you slow down and get each other, that's calming. Mm. That's calming. And it doesn't turn out to be agreeing. It's getting each other. That's beautiful work you've described there. Mm. And, you know, you described one of... Let me know if this is fair, because you described your stance or your positioning in those conversations as bossy, but I also imagine that it's probably a really necessary position to like guide and we really have to have have to be bossy but warm and calm but yeah because people are in a mess right and if you sit back and sort of wait for them they're just going to make more of a mess yeah my attention is really drawn to that too because at least in my some of the ways that i've uh, witnessed some of the work that some of my um, colleagues or my trainees and students kind of do coming from a narrative approach and the mm-hmm. kind of the decentered ethic. There's kind of this interpretation of like, oh, I shouldn't quote unquote be bossy, which I, I'm using that word because you use it, but also like, yeah. oh man, when families are coming in stressed and there's all these politics and there's tenders, these bruises all over and we're needing to talk about those bruises. You got to like, get your butt under you. Yeah, you got to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to make sure before we end that I say something very important and that one of the really different things in step families is parenting. Um, One of the things that we, that happens in uh, step families is that parents and step parents feel very differently about kids. And I've now taught all over the world, parent step parents all over the world want more boundaries and limits with their step kids and parents all over the world want more love and understanding for their children. Can you say more so, about that? Like, what do you mean by want more boundaries? Uh, uh, my daughter leaves a mess in the kitchen. I'm a single parent. I'm thrilled she got her own food. No problem for me. Uh, my partner uh, comes into the kitchen to uh, cook dinner and is pissed off that this kid who never looks at me <laughs> has mm. left a mess for me to clean up. So very different expectations housed in a very different relational dynamic. It's partly different expectations. It's also okay with me if my kid mouths off to me. I can't tell you how often this happens. My kid's mouthing off to me. My husband's upset about it. It's much more upsetting to him than it is to me. Um, I don't fully understand that yet. The best that I get is I have the attachment. I remember holding her. I also understand where she's coming from. And there is some research that when you have some positive experience, that in itself is calming. So even though she's talked back to me, I can more easily calm myself down and say, eh, she's having a tough day. Mm. Not a problem. Um, whereas my husband, who didn't have that experience of holding her and mostly has been ignored and rejected, is much, much more quickly um, gets uh, upset and tense and say, how can you let her talk to you that way? What way? <laughs> She's fine. So that's the difference. And, uh, uh, and the dilemma is that the, one of the first time family easy wrong turns is the couple should become a team, a parenting team, and the parent should back up the step parent. We now have decades of research that that is usually disastrous, especially early on. What our research tells us is that parents need to retain the disciplinary role until or unless children have a trusting, caring relationship with their step-parents. So that means if my kid, if you're the step-parent and I'm the parent, my kid does something that's upsetting to you, it doesn't mean you have to be silent But any discipline that's going to happen has to come from me, the parent. So it's from me, the parent, where I would say, you know, if you do that again, I'm sorry. Um, And if, uh, uh, meanwhile, step parents have to concentrate on connection, not correction, is the way I talk it. Or one of my best friends who's also a stepmother says, relationships, not rules. Step parents are building a relationship. You, you and this kid are building a relationship in often difficult st- circumstances, unless you've got it like a four-year-old boy, you're probably home free. But if you got a 12-year-old girl, <laughs> it's going to be tough. <laughs> and by the way, 
if that 12-year-old girl or any child has a loyalty bind, meaning the parent in the other household is bad-mouthing this household, that child not only needs uh, her parent more than she needs her step-parent, even looking at the step-parent may feel like she is uh, uh, betraying her mom. Do you bring in the other family in those circumstances, or like, what's your relationship to that? Sometimes. Um, It depends on how brave I'm feeling. Um, (laughs) Because uh, I do sometimes, you know, I may, if I have a, a, often it's moms who have the hardest time. Um, So by the way, the third challenge is parenting, and we've just talked about it. Um, uh, The parents have to retain, I'm coming back to your question, parents have to retain the disciplinary role. Step parents concentrate on building a relationship. You're going to have, you're going to talk a lot about parenting, but step parents have input. Parents have final say about their own kids and learning to do it well without, I, I call it the polarization polka, where the step parent says, you should punish her. And the parent says, she's just being a kid. And uh, the step parents disappointed and ups the ante and the parent ups the ante and off they go. So how do you do a collaborative cha-cha? How does the step-parent say, you know, I think we could ask him to do the dishes. And the parent says, oh, I know, but he's having such a hard time. I just hate to ask anything more. You know, that's a conversation. Yeah, but I still think he could do the dishes. You know, you would wait on him hand and foot. Yeah, I kind of (laughs) do. All right. What if we just, rather than ask him to do all the dishes, what if we ask him to clear the table? Okay, deal. And then mom is going to ask, not stepmom. Yes. So it's not about like neutralizing or bringing in some like egalitarian parenting structure. It's about privileging certain dynamics that maintain certain connections and allow for relationships, not rules. And exactly. not correction. And we do know that authoritative parenting, parenting that is both empathic and responsive and sets moderately firm limits, authoritative parenting is what makes what is most successful for kids. We also know that authoritarian parenting from a step-parent, hard and cold, you will do this or else, is toxic. And it is what is most easy for step-parents to do because it's irritating. It's often irritating. So you asked me, do I ever bring in ex-spouses? So that's that's the fifth challenge. You've got an ex-spouse. You've got somebody outside the household who probably has a lot of influence. Who has a lot of influence. Kids have a parent outside the household. And it turns out, by the way, African-Americans do this challenge much more easily because African-American culture supports parenting across households, probably partly uh, African communal culture, but also a resilient response to slavery when families are torn apart. Mm. So there's much more acceptance in the African-American community that your neighbor will parent. um, And African-American men, both married and unmarried, actually maintain their relationships with their kids after a divorce more than white men do, Mm. more than Anglo men do. African-American the most, then Anglo men, and then Latinx men, Latino men. Well, if if I could kind of follow up on that, uh, consideration because as you were sharing and uh, I want to be mindful of our time but I'm just so drawn into this piece um, I, I kept thinking about some of the families I work with uh, I work primarily with Middle Eastern refugee families mm-hmm. and specifically who are experiencing domestic violence so yeah. in that context I'm with families who are moving into for various reasons into step family context not necessarily not I don't know if this is the right phrasing because I don't know how many people choose it necessarily, but it's almost like being exposed to such a culturally vast idea. Like, I guess the example I'd share is like thinking about this family we're working with. A lot of stuff happened. They ended up divorcing, having um, kind of moving into the step family world. And our therapists kind of coming from a, a more of an American place are like, you know, step families, is a very possible thing. We know them. They can code each other's weddings and graduations. And that that's a very beautiful thing. And that is like the most foreign, not even foreign, but like inconceivable idea. Anathema. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if you had experiences or thoughts on even just how to make 
to scaffold to the idea of a step family, let alone supporting them living in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, that's interesting to hear that about Middle Eastern culture. That's also true about Latinx cultures and Japanese culture, um, uh, all of which privileged a first time family. And so in all of those cultures, when the parent remarries uh, in J Japan, it used to be the dad would have get custody years and years ago. Now mom gets custody and dad is like exiled. And the same happens in Latinx families. So how do you help people uh, who are already managing so much to, it's a really good question, Navita. I don't know if I have a good answer of how, you know, this is so foreign to you. I think you'd have to start right where people are. Yeah. This is foreign to you. This is not what you expected. This is not what you thought you'd grow up and be. Whoever wanted to grow up and be a stepmom or have mm. a divorce, you know, it's not what you thought. Um, turns out we know something about this and about what works and what doesn't. Um, uh, but it sounds like this is a real, this is big for you that you're in this different kind yeah. of family. Hard to believe yeah. that you're in this different kind of family. Would that work, Naveed? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had various attempts with various levels of success. Um, yeah. And I can just say in the briefness, like, um, in one of the contexts that I was uh, in this conversation with the family, it actually brought forward a really critical question that dad actually asked me, which was like, what's your definition of family? Because you're mm -hmm. guiding me towards something that I don't want. And you're suggesting an imagination of a world that I have no interest in. And so, I mean, the, the question was really born out of quite a contentious conversation that we were having and housed in a longer history of... Um, just dynamics between mom and uh, dad that were problematic. Um, but mom, she it was, you know, there was a history there that she had to leave. Like it wasn't an option for her. And he couldn't envision where it was headed. And she kind of, I don't know if she could, but she just was in a stance of like, well, it doesn't matter where I'm headed. It can't be where I was. Uh-huh. So she left. So she left. Yeah. And then yeah, it was kind of like, well... It. Yeah, and he was kind of, she was like, we can do this though together. Because he, he was a solid dad. Like the parenting part was always solid. Uh -huh. It was the relationship. So I, I'll say really broadly, my attention is usually in centering, making visible the ethics around being parents. Because usually that becomes an orienting yes. force. Yes. They could give a shit about each other. But like what the kids see is important to them, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And it, it is sometimes where I start with high conflict parents, which is I know you both love your kids. Yes. You both love your kids. And we have quite a bit of research about what uh, helps kids, what makes good well-being and what makes poor well-being after divorce. Do you want to hear it? And now when I give people information, I think they don't want to hear. It. I do often say, would you like to hear it? And wait till they lean forward and ask. Because that gives me just a little bit more of an in. And the research is that kids, that is not divorce, that is worse for kids. Divorce is hard for parents and it's hard for you, obviously. It's not divorce that's hardest for kids or step family or single parent family. You know what's hardest for kids? Want to hear? Yeah, please. See, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's hardest for kids is when their parents are tense with each other. Mm. When the adults are tense, and it, you know, if they're fighting outright, that's the worst, but even it's moderate tension. You know what we find? We find that kids don't, uh, kids' uh, attention in school is not good. Their academic uh, suffers. Their immune systems suffer. And the reason these all suffer, it turns out, by the way, is sleep. Uh, when the adults are tense, kids don't sleep. Um, but I don't, sometimes I add that, sometimes I don't. But what I am trying to say is, you both love your kids. I know you do. I know you don't want to be in this position. You didn't choose this. It's anathema to you. And I know you love your kids and want the best for your kids. Mm. And here's what we know you can do that will be best for your kids. 
And zero to 10, how hard will that be? 10 hard, zero a cinch. And you know, if it's an eight or a nine, we're going to talk about it some more, about what makes it hard. Mm. Well, thanks for letting me ask a very open-ended and difficult question. I appreciate your response. And yeah, I mean, I'm both thrilled to have been in this conversation, a little ashamed that like it's taken me this long in my career to think so much more about step family. So thank you for the work you're doing and making this visible. Because uh, yeah. I, I like I, I in this moment, I'm almost feeling like that lack of attention, at least from my context, is a privileged one of not having been in a step family and having to think about some of those complexities in politics and but, you know even people who lived in step families just it's it's in, information that a lot of people don't have so i'm sorry that you're feeling ashamed but i'm really no, glad that you had me no it's a <laughs> useful shame it's a shame that has propels me into some more curiosities and research and i hope it does for others too and it sounds and like i loved a, your questions by the way mm. well it sounds like you have a huge body of literature and work and uh uh, likely other videos and postings. So I encourage listeners to go do some more research because, well, it's family therapists in the United States, according to your own statistics, one in two of the families we'll meet with will likely be in a step family context. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us here today. My pleasure.